0: Hello, and welcome to Fanfare, a fortnightly flight of fancy in which we invite real-life cultural luminaries and their dream guests to dinner.
1: I'm Monica, a fashion and culture journalist based in Paris.
0: And I'm Emma, a writer, cookbook author, and co-founder of Greenhouse in Toronto.
1: This is Ground Control to Emma Knight. Do you read me? Copy, Houston. Loud and clear. Well, Emma, I am over the moon about this week's episode because it's very topical, given NASA's Artemis spacecraft, which arrived at the moon earlier this week. As the flight director, Zebulon Scoville, said... This is one of those days you've been thinking about and dreaming about for a long, long time. This morning, we just saw Earth set behind the moon as we take the next human-rated vehicle around the moon, preparing to bring humans back here within a few years. This is a game-changer. The Artemis mission began last week from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida with the launch of the most powerful rocket NASA has ever built. So are you wondering what life will be like in space for the lucky humans that... NASA manages to take there in a few short years?
0: Well, here to tell us is one of the world's greatest living astronauts, Commander Chris Hadfield. Chris Hadfield has been to space no less than three times, twice flying space shuttle missions and also serving as the first Canadian commander of the International Space Station. Prior to becoming an astronaut, Chris served in the Canadian Armed Forces for 25 years, and you can add engineer and fighter pilot to his resume as well as Best-selling author. His memoir, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth, is a classic. And his more recent, The Apollo Murders, uh, is definitely also worth visiting. And when he was running the International Space Station, in his spare time, he was recording an album called Space Sessions, Song from a Tin Can. You may be one of the millions of people to have viewed his viral cover of David Bowie's Space Oddity. If not, we highly recommend YouTubing it right now. We'll wait. So this Renaissance man is joining us momentarily to tell us about all things space. And we're hoping, if we're lucky, maybe he will help us host a dinner party in the International Space
1: Station. But first, Mon, do we have some some mail? Oh, I think we do. Uh, Let's Reveal the contents of our inbox. Oh, here it is. It's from Sophie. Can I read it? Yeah, please.
0: Sophie says, hello. First of all, season two of the podcast is fantastic. I loved season one too, but the dinner parties were my favorite and I'm thrilled you ran with that theme. Please do it again for season three. Oh, thanks, Sophie. Thank you, Sophie. Noted. She says, I know you're both freelance, but I'm dealing with two dilemmas that have stemmed from my return to the office. Problem number one, my wardrobe feels very unfocused. In 2020, I was investing in loungewear. In 2021, when we were all overexcited about going out again, I was buying party clothes. And in 2022, I don't really know what I'm doing. Oh, Sophie, I feel you. Okay. So my question for Monica is, would you be able to recommend some capsule pieces? Ooh, capsule. That's very appropriate for the Soyuz rocket. And the brands you'd buy them from because you recommended France de Lourdes years ago. Did I say that right, Mon?
1: Uh Francis, but but well remembered, Sophie.
0: Francis de Lourdes years ago on Fashion No Filter. And I still love it, so I trust all of your brand recs for weeks in the office. And on a thematically similar note, problem number two involves a question for Emma. During lockdown working from home, I had all the time in the world to pop out to the grocery store or make elaborate recipes. I don't have that luxury anymore. Do you have any weeknight recipes you'd recommend? Again, for when your time is limited, thank you both. Okay. That's a really nice email.
1: That's a great email. And she's really zoomed in on our niches. Do you want me to go first? Please. I can really commiserate with this, Sophie, especially because this whole like roaring 20s party trend while I'm behind it, theoretically, it's gotten a little out of hand. And there's some stores where I feel like you can just only buy like a see-through negligee that you're supposed to wear out the house. And (laughs) it's just like very confusing to me what they expect people to wear from nine to five Monday to Friday's there are still some brands that haven't forgotten about those hours. I want to just caveat this with, like, the brands that I'm going to recommend here are not super accessible price-wise, but I do really believe in uh, long-term investment dressing, which means not fast fashion insofar as you possibly can. Like, you can add those, like, fun Mango or Zara pieces in to do trends, but in terms of the, like... Things that you're gonna wear season after season, year after year. It's great to invest a little bit in quality and um, sustainability, blah, 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 but it's really not blah, blah, blah. It's so important. So I will give you a Parisian bland, a Parisian not bland. <laughs> but nothing bland about it brand called um lulu studio Uh, it's started by a friend of mine full disclosure who goes by lulu saison on instagram uh chloe arouch is her real name and she has impeccable taste it's kind of originally a cashmere brand but they do lots of nice tailoring as well and now jeans and i have a new pair of her jeans which she very kindly sent me um (laughs) as hilariously well I picked them but as like a post baby gift and an inspirational aspirational gift but her cashmere is exceptional quality it's all designed in Paris all I, I believe most of it is made in Paris and she really she plays with the classics without creating something that you have to kind of work yourself up to wearing it's all essentials for the day-to-day the coats are to die for the jackets so I would invest in a pair of her high-waisted jeans. I love them. I would also get one of her button-down cashmere sweaters that you can wear over a turtleneck in these wintry months. And one of her coats, you know, the cashmere overcoats. They're lovely. I also love gold Sign denim based in Los Angeles, but you can order it online and stocked in a lot of places in North America and Europe. Great jean cuts, last a lifetime. 80 Boots, A-E-Y-D-E, are my classics, which I wear with those jeans. And Breakout Brand, it's been around for a while, but the new season from Malene Burger, M-A-L-E-N-E-B-I-R-G-E-R, is exceptional. I would look at, you know, if you want a fun statement coat, but that is still wearable, or again, tailoring that doesn't go out of style. That's a good place to start but you know if you look hard enough on slightly more accessible brands websites you know you can get inspired by more expensive brands and then if you it's if it's out of your budget go find the perfect pair of black, you know, cigarette trousers on Mango. They always have it. You just have to look and it's not necessarily what these brands are pushing because the trend right now is this like mega Gen Z party animal style. I was
0: in New York on the weekend and everybody looks like they're in Euphoria all the time. It's like that is it's cold outside. Like you have to wear something over top of your bra.
1: It's nice to try out the trends, but when investment pieces, when investing is an option, I think it's, it's a great To go for.
0: Those are great recommendations, Mon. I'm excited. I've I've opened a bunch of tabs right now with all those different Lulu Studios looks great. Exciting. Yeah, I would love to talk about weeknight dinners. I spend a lot of time Googling recipes. The holy grail is like a 20-minute one-pot weeknight dinner situation, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I need this advice so badly.
0: Okay, so basically, my the notes on my phone are just filled with recipe links. I always have like a recipes for this week header. And then I have like 25 links and I'm lucky if I make two of them. But I will tell you some of the recent hits. Okay, so I'm really into Thai food. I don't know if you are. I hope you are because it's really delicious. Pad siu with tofu. So pad C U is just like the most delicious Noodles that are with some oyster sauce, and so it's like a little bit sweet, a little bit. You can add some spice to it, but essentially, you need to get the trick is to get the noodles soaked to just the right consistency. So anyway, there's a pad cu recipe on Hot Thai Kitchen Instagram. It's at hot underscore thai underscore kitchen, and the website is hot dash thai dash kitchen dot com. And all of her recipes are amazing. But I recently made her pad cu. It took no time at all and was utterly delicious. So medium. Rice noodles um, is what I used, soaked for about six minutes in boiling water, which is to get them kind of like springy, but then you still want to stir fry them, obviously, and you need to get them just to the right consistency. And you just prep all your vegetables and your tofu or whatever meat you want to use ahead of time and throw it together in the pan. It takes no time at all. And I used a ton of broccoli. You can use green beans. You can use, you know, bok choy, whatever is going So I highly recommend that recipe and pretty much anything on her website. A go-to for me is a massive salad with like two different kinds of lettuce, some herbs to keep it exciting, roasted vegetables like carrots, sweet potatoes, um, whatever you have basically roasted with some olive oil, salt, and some spices if you want. And then for protein, I'll add either feta or fried halloumi uh, or some chickpeas or kidney beans. Always the mustard vinaigrette that we talked about in our very first episode of Fanfare. Olive oil, vinegar, and grey poupon mustard whisked together à la Nora Ephron. And then you can add some little crunchy bits too, like some toasted nuts or seeds for extra excitement and weeknight intrigue. Thai green curry with brown rice is another classic for me because you don't need a lot. You just need to have some coconut milk, fish sauce, brown sugar, and green curry paste on hand, and then any protein that you like and whatever veggies happen to be in the fridge with some brown rice. It takes, again, less than 30 minutes leftover brown rice, you can then turn into fried rice for the next day. And it doesn't have to be brown rice. It can be whatever rice you like. Fried rice the next day with some egg, a lot of ginger and garlic. I like to use bok choy in this and any vegetables that suit your mood. And then of course, you know, pastas, like I like to do pasta alla norma with some eggplant and either ricotta salata or whatever cheese you have, like a hard pecorino is also perfect. And yeah, those are my current go-to's. Roasted like a quick seared fish is also, if you happen to be able to stop by the market on the way home, a piece of salmon or some kind of whitefish, whatever looks good. Pan fried with vegetables and, you know, a salad is another weeknight classic. Mon, do you have anything to add?
1: Well, no, Emma. I have nothing to say. That was very thorough. I guess I'll just pad see you in the kitchen.
0: Uh, hold on. I think I hear a shuttle
1: docking. Could it be? Commander Chris Hadfield, I think he's here. Let's let him in. We're going to have a little fun here, if you will accept. Sure. (laughs) On this podcast, we like to host fantasy dinner parties um, with cultural icons such as yourself. And our dream scenario here is for you to help us plan an imaginary dinner party in space. It is somewhat out of the ordinary, obviously, and a real honor for us to talk to someone who has spent I believe it's one hundred and sixty six days up there. Is that right?
2: I, I wasn't counting. I think that's about right, but it's around then, yeah. okay,
1: we calculated. Um, could you share a bit about what it's like to well, to, to to do day to day things, but for example, to have dinner on the ISS?
2: so you don't you don't know this, but I planned a dinner party on the space station.
1: No, you're kidding.
2: No, I um when I was up on my um my second space flight, we were going to the International Space Station and we thought what could we do that would be fun and human up there? And I thought, well, why don't we all have dinner together? And that'll be really nice. And so uh and so we thought what do you do as step 1? Well, you send out dinner invitations. And so we made up dinner invitations and we made sure that they were sent up to the crew on the International Space Station. So they got, you know, in their daily mail uh, that was being sent up for mission control. They got, uh, they got dinner invitations and, you know, please uh, be ready to dine. And then of course we were like, okay, well, what's the theme going to be? And, um, and we're qu- quite limited as to food choices up there, but we looked really carefully through all of the possible menus. And, and also if, you know, if it's the theme, you kind of want to have, uh, You know, some decorations and maybe some music and, you know, some culture, not just the food itself. So we thought, how about a luau? How about a Hawaiian meal? (laughs) Because the beauty of a luau is it's very international, you know, and 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 everybody puts on a Hawaiian shirt. A lot of our differences are minimalized as soon as everybody. I swear, if we have a dinner party with aliens, we should just get everybody Hawaiian shirts to fit everybody. And then, and then, like, a lot of the, hey, we're all wearing the same ho- stupid Hawaiian shirt with big surfboards on it or whatever. All right, good deal. The, it breaks down the barriers. And so we made sure that in our um, gear, our clothing gear, we packed Hawaiian shirts for everybody.
1: Bon appétit.
2: And then it was a matter, uh, and I, you probably got other questions, but then it was a matter, okay, what food do we have? And it turns out we had um Hawaiian chicken and uh pineapple and mango juice and, and I was like all right well, that'll that's you know you can just add stuff to that but it gives you a central theme now it was dehydrated uh mango juice and um and some sort of thermostabilized uh pineapple and and some sort of irradiated uh, Hawaiian chicken but still uh it doesn't matter and then we thought atmosphere and I mean, what could be more Hawaiian than um, Don Ho music? Um, and so we made sure to bring along a, a whole uh, you know, dinner time length worth of recording of the type of music that you would get if you were in Maui and at one of those big dinners and, uh, and Don Ho was playing in the background. And, and then the last thing, and I think this was the, uh, the crowning touch, was one of the guys found you know, on the dashboard of cars, there are those little dolls that sort of jiggle and move. Um, we found one that was a, a like a, a Hawaiian dancer. And, um, no. and so <laughs> we oh brought gosh. that as part, you're allowed to bring a few personal items. And we brought up this little Hawaiian dancer And we had her, uh, mounted on, uh, I think it was on the robotics operating platform. And, and, and of course, without motion, she was, she would just stay there. But every time you jiggled, you know, there'd be this little weightless Hawaiian dancer dance, which was great. And as far as I know, she is still on the space station right now, probably, uh, you know, adorning the edge of some, uh, some cabinet or something up on the spaceship. So, so that was our desire for a dinner party on the space station. And, uh, and, and I can tell you how it turned out.
0: And so I, I would imagine, are you eating with utensils that attach with Velcro to the Velcro wall or are you eating out of tubes?
2: Yeah, without gravity um, and with very limited food preparation equipment, um, the, how you consume the food changes. Like um, plates don't work without gravity. So, so you don't have plates because what would you do with a plate? How would you get your food onto the plate? You know because it's it's inside some sort of packet, and if you put it on the plate, it's just gonna float away, but you also want sticky food so that it doesn't as soon as you open the package the little you know like potato chips or 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 something snap peas would be terrible or whatever uh so you need something that has some sort of sauce to hold it in the container and um and since you don't have plates. And everything is packaged for one serving. So what you end up doing is uh, everybody just eats out of the package. So it's a little bit like being on a camping trip or eating while you're in the back of a bus or something. And um, the only way we have to prepare the food, there is no fridge, there's no freezer, there's no stove, there's no oven, and there's no microwave. So that really limits how the food's gonna be prepared. What we have is a little water dispenser that dispenses either room temperature or hot water. So a lot of your food's dehydrated and you slide it over this needle and then you dial it in and it fills up your container. And then that you, know, you shake it and you Velcro it to the wall while it rehydrates itself or if it's a package of something like uh, like your Hawaiian chicken, we have a little easy bake oven. And I swear it's just like an easy bake oven where you just put the package inside this warming oven and it warms up the whole package and whatever is on the inside. So whether it's a tin of something or a packet of something and then the whole th- is kind of like, oh, ah, ooh, it's hot. And you Velcro it to the wall and then you carefully cut it open and you eat the hot stuff out of the package. So you eat your food uh, in order. Right. You can't mix your your uh, your potatoes with your whatever, you know, your vegetables or something. Uh, You tend to have a bite of this and then you put that Velcro on the wall and then you grab the other one, have a bite of that. Or you just eat everything out of one package and then crack, you know, wind it up into a really small bit and put it in the garbage. And then you'll eat everything out of another package. Um, And I forget, we had some sort of excellent Hawaiian dessert as well. It was something, I forget exactly what the dessert was, but we generally do save the dessert for last. And then one other very special space food thing is um, we keep a chocolate wall because chocolate, I I don't know why, uh, but chocolate doesn't go bad, right? A chocolate bar. Have you ever seen a chocolate bar with mold on it? Chocolate just seems to be like if the Egyptians had had chocolate, I think we could dig it out of the the ground and still eat their chocolate and <laughs> and so it's a great food because we just have uh, like 10 different types of chocolate velcroed to the central wall in in the the middle of the space station is sort of where we normally eat it's called node one or unity and uh and uh, in unity in node one there is a wall and there's always chocolate Velcro to the wall. So whenever you're floating through and you just need a little burst of energy, you can always just break off a piece of chocolate on the way through. So, so that, that's quite a, an advantage of, um, of space travel is, is to have a chocolate wall as one of your standard resources uh, as you're floating around weightless.
1: I love that, and I and I take it you're not allowed to have a you know a shot of tequila if things get a bit stressful up there. that's, yeah, that's totally it's, out of the question. It's
2: pretty seriously against the rules. Um, but also, if you're on a spaceship and you have a, an emergency and you dial nine one one, you answer the phone. Like you, you're it. You know, if there's an emergency. Yeah. You are the only people there to save yeah. yourselves. And, and at any given moment, you may be, you have to be the fire department or you have to be the IT department or you have to be whatever, or you may have to abandon ship and fly home. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you have to wait to get home before you want to get um, intoxicated uh, at all, unfortunately. <laughs> makes
0: sense. You want to keep your wits about you. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. What kind of, what kind of view might we have at this, at this luau?
2: Well, yeah. Uh, There are some places on the space station that have uh, an absolutely spectacular view. And so I think what you would do, uh, you you want to eat your meal sort of where all of you can sit, but there's a couple of places where two people, maybe three, can cluster around a window. And um, maybe it's a little bit like uh, on an airliner where not everybody has a window seat or on a train where maybe you're eating in the dining car, but then you go up to the panorama deck to see something beautiful going by. Uh, it's sort of like that. If you you want to go to the cupola, which is the big bulging window, where not only can you look straight down at the earth, but you can look forward at where you're going at, towards a sunrise, or you can look back at, and towards a sunset, and you can you can really see the world. So I think during dinner uh, it would be nice. If uh, people were constantly taking a moment out, taking whatever packet of food they have at the moment and just going to look at, you know, Africa, go by or go watch a sunset over Australia and then come back in and and get their next piece of the meal. Because in the time that you eat dinner, which is normally what, an hour and a half for a kind of a restaurant dinner, you will go around the entire world in in every 90 minutes. So, so, you know, that you definitely want to get some window time during dinner.
1: That's, that's way better than the restaurant at the CN Tower. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it is, for sure.
1: <laughs> Fanfare is brought to you by one of my all-time favorite shopping destinations, Matches Fashion. Discover the new season at MatchesFashion.com, the Matches Fashion app, one of the most addictive apps on my phone, I don't know about you, or in person at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion townhouse in Mayfair, London. Connecting the physical and digital, 5 Carlos Place aims to create a community among customers, discover their curation of new designers and collaborations on the retail floors, shop their full online edit via iPad and try on within 90 minutes, and interact with QR codes via your smartphone to discover content that brings the house to life. With luxury shopping suites, you can also schedule completely bespoke appointments with space to select your favorite pieces with the help of the Matches Fashion private shopping team. And as the permanent residency of their event series, Five Carlos Place plays host to cocktails, dinners, workshops, and much more. Find out what's on at matchesfashion.com. They're showing a lot of florals right now, so I was thinking I could florals? do shoot- For spring. Groundbreaking. Can we back up one sec and talk about what we're gonna wear um, to this dinner party? Because you uh, describe your liquid cooling garment for space walking as like long underwear with a lot of personality. And if there's a rupture in your spacesuit, your saliva, sweat, and tears will boil apparently, which is really scary talk about needing to rely on your outfit and have confidence in it. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about the various garments one wears in space and about packing for zero gravity. Sure.
2: If if your uh, space walking suit ruptures, it's not just your saliva tears and spit that boil, your blood boils. So Oh my god. So, so it's not just uh, uncomfortable, it's kind of deadly. So, um, So, yeah, you want to dress right no matter where you are. And and some restaurants won't even let you in if you're not dressed properly. And I think the space station restaurant, even though we've never thought about it, we definitely have a dress code uh, because
1: dress coded effect. So (laughs) for
2: launch, we wear a pressure suit uh, in case the spaceship pops a leak. And um, that's pressure suit. Also, uh, if you had to bail out of your ship, uh, or, you know, end up in the ocean somewhere. They make the suit a color that the the rescue vehicles might be able to spot you from a distance. So that suit is bright orange. So we call it the pumpkin suit. So for launch and landing, you wear a pumpkin suit. But it's, it's really uncomfortable. And uh, we're not launching or landing, we're dining. So I wouldn't wear the pumpkin suit to dinner. And then if you're going to do a spacewalk, <laughs> that suit, it's really not even a suit. That suit is a one-person space ship. And there's only 11 of those suits that exist in the entire world uh, or off the world. And normally three or four of those suits are on the space station. So there's not even enough of those to go around. And we just wear those to go outside on a spacewalk. And you don't want to spill any, you know, uh, hot sauce on your space suit. So I don't think we want to wear those suits. (laughs) So, in fact, inside the ship it's just shirt sleeve kind of environment. The, the temperature never changes. The humidity never changes. The air pressure never changes. It's like the ultimate nice, uh, I don't know, San Diego uh, living environment. And, <laughs> and so, um, so th- there's something other that's weird. And that is because you're floating weightless, your clothes are also floating weightless. And so your clothes don't get dirty like they do on earth you know, right now, while we're talking to each other, we're all sitting down. And so we're actually, our the weight of our body is grinding us into our clothing. And so the the oils and the dead skin uh, of your own body are grinding into your clothes. And then the seat underneath you, whatever's maybe not perfectly clean in that seat, that's grinding. In. And so a lot of the reasons your clothes get dirty is because gravity is squishing dirt into them. When you're weightless, it's as if Imagine if you go into your closet at home and you just brush next to the clothes that are hanging there in your closet. They're going to stay clean a lot longer. And so, a pair of trousers or pants or or, or a shirt in space, it could last a month. And and it just why would it ever get dirty? It's a very clean environment. The whole station's like a hospital room. Um, so, so clothes last a long time, but while you're having a meal, you want to be careful because if you open a little packet of, I don't know, ketchup, uh, if it spills one little bit of ketchup that won't fall to the ground at your feet, it's going to fly on whatever trajectory it got ejected from the ketchup packet and it's going, then hopefully it'll hit the wall, but it might hit your pristine, clean shirt. So, so you have to be careful how you open things. And we actually, once every couple of weeks or so, we go around the entire, main eating area with wet wipes just to clean all the bits of spatter that are on the walls around you. Um, so, so you want to wear uh, shorts and some sort of like a short sleeve shirt. Um, you don't ever wear shoes because shoes are for walking and you never walk. So, But uh, for whatever reason, culturally, we don't consider feet to be as clean as hands. So normally we wear socks. We don't wear gloves. But we wear socks, which, you know, it's kind of silly, but it's just it seems culturally more acceptable. So I think the dress code for dinner is going to be socks. And typically we just have a selection of white socks on board and then some sort of shorts. They got lots of pockets they like cargo shorts because you want to have pockets so things don't float away. And uh, and then the shirt is where we get creative. So you might bring a shirt from some organization you belong to, a university or, you know, the Girl Scouts or something like that.
1: Well, sorry, and sorry to jump in here, but I don't know if Wikipedia deceives us or did you in fact once wear your Toronto Maple Leafs jersey uh, under your suit?
2: Oh, because you're allowed—you're allowed a few items of personal clothing up there. I—I I definitely brought some things from organizations I belong to, and my great grandfather was a physical trainer for the Leafs, so like he was part oh, of the wow. Leafs. Uh, Lore. He he trained them in the late 1930s, and so I obviously I was raised as a uh, as a Leafs uh, loyal fan, and uh, and so when I had a choice of bringing some optional shirt up, I brought a Leafs shirt up with me, and I wore it during every game that I watched while I was up there, and then when I was coming home, it was uh, just coincidentally, but it was during a playoffs game. Uh, that the Leafs were in. While I was undocking from the space station and then coming back down through the atmosphere, the Leafs were playing their hated enemy, Boston, the Bruins. And uh, when I undocked, the last I heard, the last link I had where I could ask somebody how the Leafs are doing, they were ahead in the third period. And, uh, And underneath my space suit, my, when I was coming back to Earth, I was wearing my Leafs, jack, my Leafs shirt, my Leafs T-shirt. I thought it was the least I could do to try and help support the team. Um, but we came, you know, whipping through the atmosphere and all those pressures and shake and parachute opening and thumping back to Earth and rolling to a stop. And then they drag us out of this spaceship because you feel terrible. And, and they plunk you down in a chair. And one of the very first thing they did was hand me a satellite phone to talk to my wife. And I was like, her name's Helena. I was like, Hey Helena, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? How did all oh I'm fine? I'm back on Earth. Small pause. How'd the Leafs do? And she, <laughs> she said, Oh, I'm so sorry they lost. <laughs> so oh, we well, no. did, didn't have very best, but even they they lost their lead, and uh, and it was the seventh game of that particular round of the playoffs. So so um, both of us went down in flames. But <laughs>
0: In 2013, when an astronaut's guide came out, you needed to take the Soyuz rocket. I think you've mentioned that that's no longer the case. Um, But what I was so interested in about the Soyuz is you said that it changed the entire profile of who could go to space. Previously, lots of tall people and perhaps even hothead astronauts were allowed to go to space. But with a smaller tin can, as you put it, and longer journeys, on average, you needed to have a certain height and profile um, in order to be eligible. Is that still accurate? Um, Yeah.
2: Well, the size of uh, anybody is always dictated by the environment around them, right? And um, like if you were uh, an NBA player, one of the really tall ones. You probably wouldn't buy a really small car, you know, because you wouldn't be able to get yourself in and out of it. Or, or whatever. Or if you were really small, you know, you might not get the gigantic car Um, or or bicycle. Or, you know, bicycles come in different sizes. Unfortunately, spaceships, they have to choose a size. There's not a variety of spaceship sizes to choose from. And this the early spaceships only allowed small people. Uh, And so all of the original astronauts were, were smaller than average. Um, just because they, they were trying to, they could make the compromise, and so they did. And so, if you look at the original cosmonauts and the original uh, Mercury astronauts, they were all shorter people. Um, but as the spaceships got more capable, the astronauts could be a little bigger, and the cosmonauts. And then the space shuttle was the most forgiving. The American space shuttle, you could be all the way up in the United States to about six foot four, or six foot five, and still fly on the space shuttle, and all the way down to about uh, five foot, uh, I think it depends on the proportion of your legs to your torso, but around, so, uh, so about, you know, 95% of people, uh, could fit into the space shuttle and, and do their job as an astronaut. But, um, the, the Russian ship, the Soyuz, uh, was much more in the early vein and it, it had uh, more restrictions f- for minimum height, minimum weight and maximum height and maximum weight, because the weight affects how it flies through the atmosphere you don't want to have one flying all wonky because you got a big person on one side and a little person on the other side um so uh so definitely for our dinner invitation list there are going to be uh some fairly penetrating questions you know how tall are you and how much do you weigh and and if you're outside the limit then uh (laughs) then you know, you're not coming to dinner.
0: <laughs> well, and how well do you handle yourself in a high-pressure situation?
2: Well, there's that too, because um, it, that's always been the case for space sta- or spaceships. But when you're going to a space station, now you're going to live there for six months. So it's not just your physical dimensions, but it's also your psychology. How well can you get along? You don't want a person who who needs other people to constantly tell them how good they are. A lot of people are very dependent on on sort of a a uh, uh, type of feedback to feel good about themselves. You have to have a sense of reserve. You have to be the type of person, I think, that gives more than you take. And definitely you have to be the type of person that puts uh, team goals and the mission and the purpose of being there ahead of what your personal objectives all the time. The, the The purpose wins, and and your it's a life of service. The life of an astronaut is a life of service. So, um, so you, you have to have that type of personality. You sure don't want a loudmouth. You don't want, um, uh, you know, uh, someone who's who wants to be the life of the party all the time, because that would get very tedious very quickly. And then the last thing is, you want someone who's really good at the details who has uh, all the technical capabilities. So And so imagine the movie, The Martian. And when that character played by Matt Damon, I think the character's name was Mark Watney, down on the surface, that guy all by himself, who was growing the potatoes and, you know, having the monologue and making fun of himself, that type of smartness and resourcefulness and self-mocking humor, but not needing other people in order to to, uh, succeed. um, That's... That's the perfect bitter guest.
0: Are you looking for a little rocket fuel? Turbocharge your immune system with Canada's number one best-selling wellness shot, because it is now available across North America. It's called fiery ginger, and it's a spicy mix of potent organic plant ingredients like ginger, turmeric, and oil of oregano. And it's small enough to pack in the Soyuz rocket. Fiery Ginger is, of course, made by Greenhouse, the organic beverage company I co-founded in 2014. No conflict of interest whatsoever. Go to drinkgreenhouse.com to check out the full lineup of Greenhouse Organic Wellness Shots. Use code FANFARE25 to get 25% off on your first order.
1: Sorry, Fiery Ginger is obviously named after one of the two hosts of this podcast, right?
0: You'll have to guess which one. (laughs) Fun fact, Ginger Nut Biscuits were also named after me.
1: In the interest of keeping up group morale, we were very much hoping you might accept to play a song for us after dinner. Maybe one from Space Sessions, songs from a tin can.
2: This is ground control to Major town. You three-
1: Could you, by the way, tell us how you recorded that album and also how you hold a guitar in space and what, if anything, does the fact of being in space do to your voice? Although your voice sounds sounds pretty darn good up there.
2: Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Um, uh, I've been a musician my whole life and uh, our, our psychological support team recognized a long time ago that we're just people up there and music is really important on Earth. And so just because you're on a spaceship doesn't mean music's not important anymore. And some people are okay just listening to music, but a lot of people like to create music and and perform. And and it's more, I don't know, uh, significant when you do it that way, if you're not just passive about it. So they put a guitar on the space station in the summer of 2001. And they actually chose a Canadian guitar, a Larry Vay, made out in Vancouver. And so there's been that same guitar on the space station for 21 years now. It's a nice little guitar, parlor guitar, um, slightly smaller box on it. And uh, so I knew it was up there. And and there's always at least one astronaut can play some guitar. And and it's nice for you know birthdays and holidays and and celebrations. And and as you say, after dinner, it's nice if someone grabs a guitar and plays some songs that people know. But it's weird to play because there's nothing to hold the guitar in place. Gravity doesn't push it down onto your leg. You know, that cutout on the side of a guitar makes it look like an hourglass. That doesn't help. And if you put a strap around it, there's no gravity to pull against the strap to hold the guitar in front of you. It's as if you were floating in a swimming pool and trying to play a guitar. You know, every time you move your hand up and down the neck or or pluck the strings, the guitar just wants to take off. So you have to find a way to pinch the guitar into place where you don't stop it resonating. And so I would pinch it with my right bicep. If you watch the video of me playing guitar in space, I pinch it under my right bicep because that part of the guitar, it's the hard wooden structure. So it doesn't change the sound and it would hold it in place. And then for singing, here's what it's like to perform on, on, on a spaceship. If you want to know what it feels like, here's what I recommend you do get your guitar and put it close to the wall, and then stand on your head where you're leaning on the wall. So, once you're standing on your head, now stand on your head for, I don't know, three hours, where you're just standing on your head for three hours. Because after three hours, all of the fluid that is normally going down towards your feet will now have all moved up into your chest and into your head. Your sinuses will be all full because you've been upside down for three hours and you'll be all sort of weird and disoriented and your vision will be strange because your eyes are bugging out a little bit, haven't been on your head for three hours. And now after three hours, while you're upside down, pick up your guitar and play. And that's what it'll feel like on board a spaceship. It'll be that weird. And also your voice is gonna sound strange because you don't get that resonance inside your sinus cavity. Um, and and you don't have the depth of your diaphragm at the bottom of your, you know, lungs to help pull in a full breath. It's a weird place to sing. Uh, you ha- kind of have to relearn how to play the guitar and relearn how to fill your lungs and 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 how to hit the notes properly. And I would recommend that you choose songs that are a little higher register than normal, like Space Oddity. You know those nice high sustained notes in Space Oddity, because mm. the high notes. Uh, you know, are going to come easier when you're staying on your head than the nice, big, low resonating notes. So, uh, so don't do Tennessee or any Ford, do, uh, you know, do David Bowie. Neil Young. Had a nice talk with Neil Young while I was up on the spaceship, actually. And uh, we talked all about songwriting and, uh, and I played, you know, I've always admired Neil and learned a bunch of his songs. So it was a real, real thrill to be uh, talking to Neil. And you're right, he's got a nice high voice. So good, good choice for, uh, for a spaceship
0: excellent what a place to see the harvest moon
2: <laughs> because I'm still in love with you I wanna see you
0: Now that we know what size and, you know, disposition and temperament our guests need to be, I'm wondering if maybe some will come via Virgin Galactic. And we've read that you're on the board, so we're very curious to know your thoughts on space tourism, whether there are any pros, cons, or caveats that we should be aware of.
2: Everything in the world has pros, cons, and caveats, you know, uh, uh, pickles, knives, the dentist, cars. marriage everything has pros cons and caveats (laughs) right and um and that's true for spaceships uh but virgin galactic is not going to the space station they they don't build a ship that will go to the space station theirs just goes up to the bottom of the atmosphere and then comes back down again it doesn't go into orbit it just it's just like a a quick ride And, and blue origin uh the one of the competing companies it's the same thing for that for that least expensive tourist ride you're just getting just up to you know 100 kilometers and 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 you're not going nearly fast enough to stay in orbit um so the only ride that you can get if you're if you're looking for the app on your phone and you're looking for space uber or whatever um the only people that can take you there right now are um spacex because they have the dragon or roscosmos because they have uh the soyuz um, and Boeing has built a vehicle that takes people. It's called, um, oh, shoot, uh, I should have remembered the name. Anyways, I think it's CST-100. Um, but that one on its next flight should take people. And then NASA's building a, a spaceship now that can take people to the moon, the uh, Artemis vehicle. Um, so there's only very few actual rides available. But space tourism, you know, people get all distracted by it because um, because the... Personalities involved are like lightning rods of public opinion, but what it really is is its demonstration of the fact that space flight is now safe enough, and simple enough, and reliable enough that the cost has come way down. And as soon as the cost comes down low enough, then not only can we put up all these satellites that service in a lot of different ways, but maybe the costs will come down low enough that some of us can afford to buy a ticket. And it's it's still you have to be quite wealthy but uh or you know most people in the world can't buy an airline ticket you know we we take it for granted in in canada that that the cost is low enough that you know we don't think it's proportionate to most people's income that you can you can buy an airline ticket but you know most of the world the the eight billion of us there's still the the majority of us can't afford to even buy an airline ticket so wealth is relative but um the cost of getting to space, it used to be only trillionaires could fly in space. You had to be the Soviet Union or the United States. No one else could afford it. But the, the technology has gotten better so that then lesser countries, you know, countries that didn't have as big a GDP, they could afford it. And then private companies could afford to fly people in space. And now it's down to the point where private citizens, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist just sort of extrapolate that into the future. The cost is going to continue to drop. Um, and more and more people will be able to buy a ticket. And then so just like with when cars renew or when airplanes renew, it was chaos and we didn't have rules. And, and it was, there were car accidents and airplane accidents and we needed airports and we needed roads and gas stations and all the other stuff that goes along with the new technology. And we need all that space tourism right now and we're figuring it out you know the faa is working hard and other space organizations are working hard to try and come up with the regulations and and you know build all of the things that we need in order to make it part of the normal human experience and we'll get there eventually but right now it's just sort of this amazing new chaos and uh and it's it's an inevitable and natural progression of technology just like other modes of transport Um, and, uh, and eventually people will go, well, of course I can fly in space, uh, but I can't go to Mars. You know, it, it's just, uh, it's just a matter of where we are in history. And this right now, the burgeoning very start of space tourism, that's where we are in history.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Well, two final thoughts. One is we will not forget our Swiss army knife in case we need it to break into the hatch.
2: Get the one with enough with enough with enough uh, gadgets in there for sure. Because you yeah don't leave Earth without one.
0: We would never sure. do that. We'll keep it in the pocket of our gadgety shorts. And then I thought of a dessert that we could perhaps serve. It's nice and sticky, and it will serve as a reminder that which way is up is subjective. Pineapple upside down cake. What do you think?
2: Oh, perfect, perfect choice, pineapple upside down cake. That that make, <laughs> and some of us can need it upside down. That would be exactly the right. Well, we right can't dessert. wait. Oh, at the end of the meal, on board the spaceship, we don't just have coffee, we have Kona coffee. We actually have Hawaiian coffee as part of our standard compliment up there. So uh, it's weird though, because it comes in a little pouch and, or packet and the you can't add sugar or, or cream when it's dehydrated and it's in a pouch how would you do that so you actually go through the container of food and you, you're like okay who wants black who wants one cream one sugar who wants two sugar there's this big rack of little little containers and each one of them has a pre-packaged thing with the dried crystals in it so that you'll get the coffee mix. but um so long as you're not too discerning you can have instant Kona coffee at the end of this spectacular meal mm, on the space wow
0: and then we can somersault off toward the chocolate <laughs> wall for a final taste. Oh, nothing's gonna change my world.
2: Nothing's gonna change my world.
0: We hugely admire your growth mindset. You seem to be always acquiring and then mastering new skills, whether it's learning how to hold a guitar in space so you can record an album from the International Space Station or writing a thriller during COVID. Uh, And one of the many passages I really loved in an astronaut's guide to life on Earth was about the word attitude, what it means in spaceflight and what it means on Earth. So I was hoping you could tell us about why attitude is so important and how you orient yours.
2: Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a play on words, obviously, but um, which way is up? You can be working on the International Space Station, uh, and the person right beside you might be sideways to you or upside down to you. And at first, that seems very strange. But then you realize your attitude is really just governed by your particular current set of circumstances, and if you can get over the fact that your circumstances have changed and just adjust your attitude to suit, then you're gonna be way more productive. And so I thought that's, that's sort of necessary when you're living in weightlessness, you know, where you float into a new room and everything is sideways to yes. your perception yes. before you come in there. I thought there's a definite parallel to that, to life in general. And people carry a perception of normal with them, Into every new situation. You've got your own sense of what's right side up. But when you come into a new situation, um, often things are a little bit sideways, at least from your preconceptions. And so if you can be willing and uh, sort of normally ready to adjust your own attitude uh, to match the necessity of whatever life is throwing at you, you have a lot greater chance of, of succeeding. And then fitting in and learning things and being productive. And so, and it's also the thing that you have the most control over. You know, you often have very little control over the external environment, but you have a lot of control over your own attitude. And so I, I, I think people sometimes forget just how instrumental it is, um, what they're bringing into a new situation and how deliberate they can be in perhaps modifying it to to really get closer to, to your objectives or what you're trying to all do together.
1: I love that idea. Now, just, just taking a step back, between the um, Artemis program, the James Webb telescope, SpaceX, and space tourism, would it be fair to say that space is kind of currently having a moment in the sun, so to speak? And what do you hope might come of this?
2: Right now, uh, you probably use GPS uh, 500 times every day and you don't even know it. Uh, for you know, bank transactions and and time accuracies and and anything you get delivered by any supply chain in the world, and and when you you know go Uber Eats or whatever it is, uh, GPS, a hundred percent space-based technology, has become so pervasive in society that we all take it for granted. Or when you want to know what the weather is, um, I mean space-based weather observation has allowed us to understand weather like never before in history. And so I think it's very disingenuous to say space is having a moment in the sun. Uh, There may be some things that are maybe slightly more popular in transient media, but um, the ability to use technology to access space is fundamentally improving the quality of life for people all around the world. There's internet from space. We're in the process right now of getting cell phones connected, so that no matter where you are, anytime you can talk to anybody else, and it's going to be relayed via via satellites going around the world. So it's what's what's allowing that is some of the things you referred to, and that is radical advances in technology based on uh, you know 65 years of spaceflight, and uh, and so I think that arc from Sputnik and Yuri Gagarin and Al Shepard, the very first things we put into space, to where we are now, where there are thousands of satellites that are serving us on a regular basis. And even to the point where we have like the James Webb telescope, which is looking at planets that are going around other stars to see if we're alone in the universe or not, or where the, the, the safety and the cost of flying in space are so low now that it's, it's starting to become possible to just buy a ticket. And it's not just for the crazy wealthy. I mean, one a guy that I know, he was a government employee his whole life, but he just saved. He always wanted to fly in space and he saved his money. And instead of maybe buying a new luxury car like you might after you've saved your money for a long time, uh, he, he flew in space. So it's expensive, but still that, that's just a government employee, you know? So, so there's even that going on. And I think maybe, if you just look back a hundred years, you know the the Wright brothers, 120 years ago, and it seems like kind of a silly thing. Wow, someone uh, off the hills in North Carolina managed to get something airborne and fly a little ways. Well, that's fun and that's entertaining, but how does that affect me? Just fast forward half one lifetime, and suddenly there's jets flying across the Atlantic that you can buy a ticket on, and now air travel is so pervasive that that it's changed our whole perception of the world and our ability to understand our planet to communicate with each other and space flight is somewhere along that timeline right now of becoming just an a pivotal and endemic part of of humanity uh including to the point now where where it's it's even possible to buy a ticket so so yeah i think it's an amazing moment it's a really cool time to be alive and this technology is accelerating you know our ability to communicate with each other and share invention that's accelerating so it only uh, radically increases our ability to uh, to both do it and take advantage of it so yeah it's 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 an amazing moment i'm really happy that you know that i'm alive right now and i'm part of this business
0: Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please send us an email at fanfarefanmail at gmail.com because we love to hear from you. And if you like us,
1: rate and review us on iTunes. It really means a lot. It sure does. See you in two weeks time.